Welcome to Fireside Financial. Together, Joe Curry and Regan Schiller offer and discuss insights and advice on all aspects of retirement planning. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, sit back and join us by the fireside as we explore all the topics related to planning for your retirement. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm good, Regan. How are you? Uh, Not too bad. Not too bad. So for our listeners, we got an interesting, well, several topics, I guess, today. We're actually going to go through some of the questions that we've received via our audience, if you will. General questions around, majority of them actually around CPP, but a few other ones. And we thought we would tackle a few of those together for our listeners today. So with that said, do you want to start with the first question, Joe? Sure. Might as well jump right into it. So the first question that we had was, what if you only plan to work part-time after age 60? So if you wait until 65, did the last five lower income earning years negate the benefit of waiting until you're 65 years old to start CPP? So say your income between 60 and 65 is half of what you were earning previous to age 60. Right. So this individual is basically looking at if they decide to work more after the age 60 to 65, would this harm their CPP amounts at 65? That's how I would have read that question. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, in long and short, no, it's not going to negate your CPP payment at age 65. As we were talking before this, we hit record here, Joe, to fully determine how much you're going to be getting at 65, you'd have to know what your income would be between age 60 and 65 to see what kind of effect it would have. Yeah. And so um, as we kind of go through some of our questions here, there's probably a little bit of overlap, but basically CPP and their formula, they're going to allow you to throw out your eight lowest income earning years between age 18 and 65. So if you just stop working at 60 and then you don't collect until 65, I mean, there's five years right there where you're not working that you're just like, you're going to throw those out because there's no income. And then you would have another three years that you could throw out, which were lower income earning years or other years during those, that time period where you weren't working. So if you're working part-time, it just means that what would have otherwise been as say zero earned income, now at least there's some income there. So if there were other years in the past that you didn't work, well, at least now you can put something in there. So it's actually going to help if anything, yeah. it's not going to hurt. Yeah, that's long story short on that one is it's not going to, it's not going to negatively affect your CPP payment amount if you work between age 60 and 65. You know, we get a lot of questions about CPP. That seems to be, you know, a bigger question for a lot of Canadians going into retirement and rightfully so. And the next question, I've done several videos on this, which we might as well put into the video descriptions below. But it's to do with an individual's defined benefit pension plan. So it says, I quit my job at 54 years old and 11 months. I have a couple of options. Option one, take the value out of the pension plan, which is the commuted value, uh, roughly 145000 So 120000 would go into a locked-in registered account or a lira. And the additional twenty-five would be recognized as income, as it'd basically be a taxable event. And this individual would have to realize it as earned income for that year. But he says, or she or he, I'm not too sure, says, I have RRSP room to cover. So that's good. So essentially, he could take that 25K, put into his RSP and offset the tax payable, if you will, or defer the tax payable. He says the second option is otherwise, I can just take a pension at 55 years old of $667 per month, 950 per month at age 65. Should I cash out? I still have that option for two more weeks. Or should I take the guaranteed income for life? I am not able to retire and do not want to. I just wanted a career change and decided to leave at age 54 and 11 months in order to cash out the pension. But now I am leaning towards the monthly income instead. So 
That one is a bit of a loaded question because there's many other factors that come into play to answer that that one, right? Yeah, it's uh, one of those financial planning answers. Like every question is, it depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, it totally does. So how would you unpack it if a client came to you with this question? Sure, so I mean, the first thing that I would look at if we just kind of forget about the situation for a second is, well, what does that income look like compared to what you might be able to generate out of a, like an RSP portfolio, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so if we go very basic uh, and super conservative and look at maybe, you know, the 4% rule, which mm -hmm. I'm not sure if we talked about that in the past here, Regan or not, but to give a really high level, right? There's been research done in the past that just kind of shows if you were to take 4% of your initial retirement portfolio as income, so withdrawal, and increase that amount by inflation each year during even the worst periods of markets and inflation, we should be able to get through a 30 year retirement, right? right so yeah, if we yeah. just kind of use that as a, a quick rule of thumb, and I'm not saying that that's a recommendation how you should do all your retirement planning, but just as a quick rule of thumb, and we look at the amount of income that they would generate from this portfolio, it's a lot higher than 4%. It's closer to like five and a half percent, right? So right, yeah. from a pure income standpoint, that's great. Now, we don't have all the info here because we don't know if that's going to increase with inflation or not. So that's something else yeah. we'd want to take in, into yeah. consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other things depending on your your planner you're working with or the way you're doing your planning yourself. You know, you may be able to, to justify a little higher withdrawal rate than 4%. So I don't know if you want to jump in there and keep going. I think there's many parts to answer. That's one of them. And I would typically look at what is the required rate of return to match. It's same idea as what you're saying, I guess, just framed a bit different. Yeah. Um, but what would be the required rate of return to equal that amount that this individual would get at age 60 and 55? And then two, is that whatever that number is, let's say it's, I don't know, let's say it turned out to be 5%. I don't know. Like, let's just say that's what it turned out to be. And then if you're a conservative investor, then you know, there's a good chance that you won't be able to to match that. So that would be the first thing I would look at is what is the required rate of return and does your risk tolerance allow you to do that? Yeah, and that's where it starts getting into that kind of uniqueness of the situation, right? Because, you know, so part of it is, you know, what are you comfortable with as far as an investment portfolio? And also part of it is, you know, what are your goals? Is it just to maximize retirement income no matter what? Or do you want the flexibility and you want to be able to leave something to your kids if you're not around to use all that money out, right? So there's some other considerations that you start to, to, to factor there as well. Yes, very good point. I think a lot of people mistake this. Like there's, um, with the defined benefit pension plan, it's cash flow, it's not net worth. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't represent your net worth. It, it represents your cash flow in retirement. So yeah, very good point. And if you were to take into consideration all the other factors that they had going on when they would be in retirement, like the other various sources of uh, income, and then if you wanted to isolate that bucket from the pension plan, if you did take the commuted, full commuted value, you know, at age, let's say age 95, how much of that bucket is still there? And then is it important for you to, to pass that on to uh, your beneficiaries? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And then one yeah. of the things that I think that would maybe make this maybe a little bit more appealing to take than say another situation would be the fact that there is RSP contribution mm -hmm. room there that allows it to all come over without any initial tax. Whereas yeah. if we were talking about, you know, a 40 year employee who's a teacher and we have a million and a half dollar pension and we're looking at moving something like that out, well, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, we might have $500,000 and I'm yeah. just throwing out random numbers here, but you know, maybe there's like $500,000 that can't go into an RSP and mm -hmm. doesn't go into the Lira. So now that's all income and yeah. off the top, you know, almost half of that number is going to tax. 
So we're starting yeah. at a lot lower portfolio, right? So right. that would be, and the reason I'm bringing that up is if someone's just listening to this episode and thinking, oh, maybe it's kind of not much difference one way or the other, like that could play a big factor in, in what that lump sum versus that pension will provide for a future income. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a few, call it C-suite individuals who uh, took early pension options, essentially. I mean, these individuals were very high net worth and had extremely good incomes. And, you know, for them, taking the community value made a lot of sense for their risk tolerance, all the other factors that went into play. But the tax liability is there. <laughs> it sucks. But yeah. what do you do, right? Um, in their cases, that was from a net worth perspective, actually had a very significant impact long term on their net worth. So it made sense to uh, basically keep that money in the family, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, a, a big part of it is just understanding the difference in the options and the, and the pros yeah. and the cons. Yeah, that's right. I had another case where it was one of our listeners from YouTube. So once a month, I'll do a pro bono case. Um, if someone, you know, as you and I, well, no, we can't work with everybody, right? Yeah. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I can tell that it's not too complicated to figure something out for someone. I'll spend an hour with them, figure stuff out and answer some of their questions kind of thing. Yeah. But in this particular case, for her, keeping the pension was my recommend, like keeping the uh, defined, like the income from the pension, because yeah. there wasn't a lot of assets otherwise. Right. So she had a bit of emergency money, probably about like six months ish of it. But taking that commuted value, sure, it would make her balance sheet, her net worth higher, but she didn't have a lot of other income streams in retirement. So keeping that guaranteed made a lot of sense. Yeah. It's hard to be guaranteed income for security. Yeah. Yeah. So those would be, I guess, some of the bigger ones that I would start to look at, I guess, would be the uh, what's the required rate of return, family legacy planning, if it's large enough to have an impact on your net worth. And what was the third one, right? And what the other sources of income would be and how that's going to play a role. Yeah, I guess maybe one thing I would add to this specific situation based on that information is they said that they don't want to retire right now and they want right, to do something yeah. different. So if they know they're not going to touch that money for another 10 years, if they're right, you yeah. know, 54, they're not going to touch it till 65, you know, what kind of impact will they be able to get from just taking that money and investing it for 10 years before they start to, to draw on it? Yeah, like what would be the overall tax implications? And the other things too, like you said, you know, is it indexed for inflation as well as it, what are the um, survivor benefit periods, right? Yeah. Um, this, this option, typically, you know, if you left an employer where you had a defined benefit pension plan, they're going to give you some options. They're going to say, usually it's about three options, right? Or well, four if you take the community value, that is. But yeah. the first option, they give you a number, but there may not be a guaranteed period for your spouse. So if you passed away outside of a Depending on, it might be a 10-year period is pretty common, right? That I've seen, they give you a guaranteed 10-year period where if you took the first option, which was a higher amount per month, and you passed away, your spouse would still be guaranteed that amount for uh, 10 years or your beneficiaries of your estate. But after that period, it would be done. Or they'll say a little bit less and you get, the spouse gets whatever amount. And then the third option is usually a little bit less even from option two, but it continues on with the spouse uh, till her death, right? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty common. Yeah. Anyone listening to us, please understand it's not a question that can be answered in a vacuum. It has to, it really does have to factor in all the other things you have going on. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Jump into the next question here. Um, so I plan to stop working at age 61. I will not draw CPP until 65. The projected amounts posted on my service Canada page forecast an amount at age 65. So the question is, are these amounts based on an assumed continued contribution to age 65? So in other words, if she's looking at that that estimate, mm -hmm. is that amount what she's going to get? Or is that going to assume she continues to contribute at the same level she has been for the next five years? Yes. Yeah, so 
The answer, yes, the projection assumes that the individual will earn their lifetime average salary for future years. That's right. And so this is kind of like what we were talking about before, where there's some overlap, is mm -hmm. if this individual has worked for all the possible contribution years, then they could throw out five years, right? Because you could throw out your lowest eight years. And so mm -hmm. in this case, it might not make a difference. It, it could be the same. But if yeah. there's other years where there was lower income or years that are going to lower that average lifetime income or years where they weren't working at all, then that will more than likely have an impact on what the actual number is at age 65. Yeah. Age 65. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, again, it... <laughs> It depends, right, when you answer that one. But I think the big thing is to understand that number you get if you request it from CRA is in respects to how much, if you delay, understanding that that number isn't necessarily an accurate number. Yeah. <laughs> Which is unfortunate that they, they do the calculations that way because it makes it kind of harder to make decisions, right? Yeah, it's just assuming that everyone's going to retire at age 65. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which maybe, I don't know, maybe that'll become more of a norm. I'm seeing the opposite where people are you know, if they're in the position to retire early, they'll typically pull the pin if they if they financially can. Yeah, I think with COVID, a lot of people have decided to maybe speed things up, knowing life mm -hmm. is short, right? On the same hand, I've, I've talked to some business owners lately who are just like, you know what, retirement's not even a goal. So what am I going to do? I yeah. enjoy, I enjoy yeah. my business. I like working in it. It's fulfilling. And I don't know what I do if I stop working. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, well, that's an entrepreneur or A-type personality. Now, yeah, same thing. Or a client, young, actually, very, very young, sold their business. He's set essentially for life. He's in his early 40s, actually, but he doesn't, there's no need to work if he doesn't want to, but he's, he's always looking for next business opportunities and things just like uh, his his brain won't allow him to uh, retire. He said the same thing that retirement's not really a, it's not a thing. It's, you know, yeah. <laughs> each to their own, right? Exactly. Said, yeah. So um, we'll see here. We'll move on to the next one. This one here, I'm going to do, I'm actually, going to do a video on this one where I'll actually do a live case study. But it says, I would love to see you do a video on the best way one can retire at age 60. Would it be best to not start CPP early? Should I convert my RSP to RIF at age 60 and start CPP at age 60 or 70? What scenario will give me the best bang for my buck? Great question. Common, very common question. Once again, I'll flip back to you. How would you start to answer this question for yes. somebody? So again, there's so many variables here, but just, you know, let's just assume that you could wait to 65 or 70 and get your max CPP. Like you don't have to worry about that, that waiting period and reducing it with the number of years you're throwing out. Again, we go back to that. You could throw out your eight lowest years. So I think a lot of common advice is, you know, take that CPP so you get income now so you can preserve your portfolio. But I also think that that maybe is sometimes self-serving for advisors. And if we actually look at the data and FP Canada's done a study on this. And it really shows the advantage of delaying CPP, yeah. right? So I guess what I would say is it kind of as a default, and obviously you want to look at all the scenarios, but as a default, you might be better. And, and maybe this is a riff, maybe it's non-registered. And we could talk about maybe a I don't know, we could probably get pretty in-depth on this, but yeah, yeah. But just to keep it really high level, uh, I think it does make sense to take additional money from your portfolio in order to get the full amount of CPP and maybe even delay it to age 70, again, depending on your other guaranteed income sources, if you have any mm -hmm. uh, in your situation. But there's a, there's a lot to be said for the advantage that you're getting by delaying yeah. on the CPP. Yeah, 
it's very much a like a depends situation because sometimes you'll find like with, you know, when I'm looking at percentages, like how better off are you from a percentage standpoint to take it at 60, 65 or 70 based on assumptions that we might have in a plan. Sometimes, you know, for her husband, it's 67 and the wife at 63. And that's what the mixture is like the sweet spot. And sometimes yeah. it's actually, it's negative to delay till age, like it's a negative effect on their retirement plan to the to delayed age 70. But more often than not, what I'm finding is delaying typically would be beneficial. And how large is your RSP portfolio, right? Because the idea I think that this uh, listener is thinking is that, you know, if I start taking money now out of my registered account, my RSP and to convert to a RIF, when I'm 70, I'll have a higher amount of a guaranteed, less amount that is required or a lower amount in the RSP, which as many know, is that uh, at every year when you convert your RSP to a RIF, when you do that, based on your age, there's a minimum amount that you must take out of that account. So maybe that combination of the two would help preserve OAS, right? Maybe they don't run into OAS clawback issues and things like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when we've run some of these scenarios on the uh, the financial planning software, and I think we use the same one, Regan, but we do, yeah, yeah. You know, you actually see, even though you're taking a lot of these scenarios, you're taking more money out in those early years because you don't have the CPP and maybe delayed OAS as well. Mm -hmm. Assuming you live past, you know, or to life expectancy, you actually still end up with a bigger estate than yeah. had you been taking the CPP early and and leaving more money in the portfolio just from the, the standpoint that there's so much less stress on the portfolio in the later years because you have yeah. so much more guaranteed income coming in. That's right. Yeah. It, it, to it depend if there's health concerns, that would be one thing to look at, right? If yeah. you have had individuals that they say, well, I based on, you know, they have, the doctors tell them that their condition, life expectancy would be age 82 or 80 or something like that, right? So that would be a consideration if there was sometimes too, with, if there is a couple, depending on the, if there's an age gap, right? So Maybe it makes sense if there is an age gap for a husband or yeah, typically uh, for the younger or older partner to take it sooner, right? And then the younger partner delay theirs till age 70, right? Yep. To maximize it. So very little question. I am going to do a fake scenario on this if you're listening to this. So hopefully I can get the video out in the next two, three weeks here, but I'll have to take into consideration. I'll, it's going to be a fake file. So I'll assume so much in RSP, so much in TFSA and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think that'll give the audience, if you tune into that episode, gives them a bit more of understanding of all the different variables and how it will affect your decisions. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So that's the next one here. What happens to CPP contributions if you leave Canada? Can you take the contributions back? So you can't take the contributions back, but you still will be eligible for the payments is the consensus that you and I discussed ahead of this. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you've made those contributions, you paid into it. Uh, so just like a company pension, like you, you will get the, the benefit back out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then this other one here, it's an OAS question. It says, can you still get GIS, which is like a government income supplement for low income earners in Canada on the OAS payments, if you have larger amounts in the tax-free savings account? So the tax-free savings account, just so people understand the the beauty of this account is the earnings inside of it are completely tax-free. So if any money made inside your tax-free savings account, it's not recognized as an income in any way, shape, or form. And just as the same, when you take that money out of a tax-free savings account, it's not income. So it's uh, not going to affect uh, your other income-tested devices like a GIS, if you will. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's pretty straightforward answer. You could take a million dollars. I don't think anyone, well, maybe there's some, but... So you yeah. can take, anyway, you take a million dollars of a TFSA is not income. So yeah, yeah, it's you yeah. fine. 
essentially. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, one of the last two ones here says, uh, it's a planning related question. It says, how many years prior to retirement should you have a plan in place? <laughs> I, I always say sooner, the sooner the better, right? Because it does, as a planner, when you meet someone who's five years away from retirement, and you know what you could have done with the client if we would have met them five years ago when we had a 10-year runway. The longer the runway you have to plan for your retirement, the better. I think just plain and simple on that, but bare minimum, I think, Joe, you... Yeah, we talked about that. Like if you're, you know, you've never done, but you, maybe you've been putting money away and you have a pension and you're like, you know what, I need to think about retirement. Like I, I want to retire. The minimum I'd say three years would be ideal. I mean, we still get people coming in a year ahead, but every situation against different. So, you know, some people are doing a good job of saving and they just haven't thought about, you know, how am I going to turn all these, you know, investments into income, something like that. Right. So, but if you have three years, what that allows you to do is get some real clarity on where you're at and kind of your current situation. So, you know, if retirement's realistic, three yeah. years out. So you have some time to make some adjustments, course corrections, also, it gives you a chance, you know, something we're really big on is actually having people live off of what they think they're going to be able to live off in retirement, right? So just setting up a totally different bank account that you put in. So, you know, you, you say, you know, I think we can live off of $6,000 a month while well, you just put six grand a month into a separate bank account and all your spending now comes out of there, all your bills, everything. And you, you know, you do that for a year and you see, is it reasonable? Could you actually do it? Right. Yeah. I don't know about you, Regan, but what I find is spending typically goes up in the early years of retirement because there's things that you've wanted to do. You've been on hold. Yeah. You know, I always ask people, what day of the week do you spend the most money while you're working? And yeah. usually it's Saturday or Sunday. Well, when you retire every day, Saturday or Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, I think the challenge with starting late, like let's say your, your goals were to retire at 60 and you're 57 sitting down doing a retirement plan and you realize that there is a bit of a shortfall. So we do everything. We do all of our assumptions, calculation, blah, blah, blah. And we determine based on reasonable assumptions that retiring at age 60 actually puts your plan at jeopardy of you running out of money at age 85, right? So that means now, sorry, 60, I guess a few options. You're going to have to save a lot more, which would mean you might have to reduce your spending now, or you're going to have to work longer or reduce your cost of living to match, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a few levers yeah. we can pull there, but at least when you have some clarity yeah. and you've looked at it at least a few years ahead, it's not a you know big surprise, like, okay, I'm gonna retire tomorrow yeah. and you realize it's not realistic, right? Yeah, and I think to the, um, the sooner you know, with a certain degree of confidence, you would say, because I don't think it's always somewhat um, uncomfortable going into retirement, right? It's never uh, an easy thing for most people that is. But I think the longer you have with a, a degree of confidence that you're able to retire at your target date, I think you're going to be making those decisions. Like you'd be a lot more rational with your decisions as you move forward with your spending now and when you actually pull the pin, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Time yeah, so. is, uh, it's good to have time on your side. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I've been encouraging our listeners to try to put questions or topics that they want us to, to cover in, in the comment section. So I'm not sure if uh, on your separate podcast if you've been doing that, but I would encourage it and we can maybe try and do this every now and then just answer some questions and go through it and kind of go yeah, from absolutely. there. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, I mean, most people are, either, they found this podcast because they're listening to your feed or my feed, but yeah, if anyone has questions, they can email it to you or to me. So for, for me, it would be info at retirementplanningsimplified.ca. So Regan, I know what's the best place for people to send you questions. Yeah, well, in the feeds it works, but if not, it's regan.schiller at igpwm.ca. So just my name with a dot in the middle at igpwm.ca. Perfect. I think that should cover off for today. And yeah, appreciate your time once again, Joe, and 
Always fun chatting. Absolutely. All right. Take care and we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Take care, guys. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. If you'd like to see how prepared you are for retirement, we've created a free retirement readiness calculator to help you out. Go to matthewsandassociates.ca forward slash ready to input your retirement information and receive instant feedback to help you evaluate your current retirement readiness. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.